It's such a powerful encouragement when you know that the saints are praying for you. You know, even if you're in the midst of the struggle, even if you're in the midst of the situation, there's, there's this wonderful confidence that wells up, this wonderful blessing that comes from knowing the saints are praying. Even as Pastor Carlos was mentioning, uh, praying for Pastor Ismael, who's been going back and forth with this kidney situation, even though he's gotten a transplant, uh, everything that comes along after that aspect. And every time I've talked to him, he's mentioned that the prayers of the saints has really been an incredible encouragement for him. And everyone that I've known who's really battled through something has always said the same thing. You know what? It's so encouraging when the saints are praying for you. It's so encouraging when the believers have gathered together. And even, you know, sometimes I try to encourage people, especially when I was a youth pastor, it was so hard. Teenagers, you can't get them to shut up unless you ask them to pray. And then all of a sudden, they're silent. And, uh, and it's one of those things where I'm like, listen, sometimes it's important for the person that you're praying for to hear what you're praying. Because there's a level of encouragement that comes with that. And I was thinking about this because, <clears throat> you know, NFL season starts tomorrow. I'm a big Bears fan, so super excited about that. By the way, men, tailgate, Sunday, 2 o'clock, immediately after that, Bears game, down the street, 6120. I encourage you to be there. And, uh, and it's funny, like uh, a few years ago when they had the pandemic uh, and the NFL started to try to play games without fans, they mentioned how horrible it felt. It's the same game they're playing. Nothing changed on the field, but the atmosphere was completely different. They could actually hear each other talking trash. Like, it was a lot easier when the guy on the other end couldn't hear me say it. But now, you know, it's this deafening sound throughout the stadium. And part of why they play the game and what really motivates them and encourages them are the people in the stands, the people cheering and screaming. As a matter of fact, there's a team out in Seattle. They've coined the fans the 12th man because there's 11 people on a team at one time on the field. And so they've coined the fans the 12th man. And so they rally the 12th man to, to shout and to cheer. And there have been on record cheers so loud from the fans up in Seattle. As a matter of fact, there was one particular play with a running back named Marshawn Lynch, who, it was an incredible run, and he broke through tackle after tackle, and it was in the playoffs, and that stadium ruptured so much that it literally kicked off the Richter scale, which is a, um, a tool that's used to measure earthquakes. So they cheered so loudly that the earth quaked, okay? That's the kind of thing that makes you run through walls, that makes you break tackles after tackles. It's the 12th man. And some may wonder, does fan engagement really matter? Is there any truth to the home field advantage? And if you've ever played sports, I think you would agree, absolutely. Absolutely. There's those moments where you're tired and you're exhausted and you just hear the fans screaming and cheering and chanting and asking you to get up. And it's this motivator. It's this encouragement. It fortifies the resolve. I'll tell you the truth. As a preacher, it helps when you get a little feedback. You know, when you throw a joke and no one laughs, you, you, it feels bad. It is not good. Or, or when you're saying something and you just get blank stares, I mean, you got to move on and you got to do the thing. But I'll tell you the truth. Do you want to hear better sermons? Give me better feedback. You know, throw an amen every now and then. Give me a hallelujah. Just let me know you're alive and that you're still with me. And those are the kinds of things. And it's like, well, Pastor, you know, your preaching shouldn't be dictated by the people. No, it shouldn't, but my energy is. 
And so, you know, if I get a little bit more, I might get carried away. I might really start preaching and things will get crazy up in here. But a lot of times that's stipulated on, are we getting any feedback? I need encouragement. I'm just a person. Anybody who stands on this pulpit, they're just people. And so we need a little bit of encouragement. We need to know that you're with us. We need to know that you're hearing, that it's landing, that the word of God that is given me is, is penetrating. It's getting there. As Christian, thank you, Pastor. Come on, appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. It's my guy. As Christians, we're not called to be mere spectators. We're not called to watch. But there are moments where you are not personally or physically involved. But that doesn't mean you cannot be engaged. There are moments where you are not personally or physically involved, but that doesn't mean that you are not called to be engaged. What we were just doing, that was engagement. It didn't personally or physically maybe involve you. It might not have been your physical ailment, your situation, but you got involved. You came and you stood in the gap. You came not as a fan, but as a supporter to say, hey, this may not be my issue, but I'm going to pray for you as if it was. I'm going to get in the middle. And so, like I said, immediately after Wednesday night's prayer meeting, I texted my friend Austin. Hey, brother, just let you know the church has been praying for you. Let me know if there's any specific things that I need to pray about. And immediately he's like, hey, I got this test coming up the next day. Got it, brother. I'm going to be praying for you. And again, like, I believe in prayer. So I believe that, you know, everything I do is going to help. At the same time, I also know that if he knows I'm praying for him, it's going to encourage him. Right? Every time we've had somebody come pray for us, even those of you who were up here just a few minutes ago, just knowing that someone's laying hands on you, that physical touch of saying, hey, you're not alone in this situation. I'm here with you is incredibly important. So I want you to look at this verse in particular as I kind of begin to unpack it for tonight. In Romans chapter 15, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. Romans 15, verse 30. Listen to what he says. I think this is interesting. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Now, I want you to notice something. Paul had not yet even gone to the church in Rome. This is a letter that he's writing to them without actually physically knowing them. But he's saying a few things. Hey, you're my brothers because of the relationship that we have in Christ. We are united, as we talked about on Sunday. You're my brothers. We are family. And so as my brothers, I am calling on you by the love of the Spirit to strive, meaning to work at being together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. I love what Paul is saying here because there's a humility in that. That he's saying, hey, I'm not saying pray for all the saints, although that's important. But specifically, I'm asking would you fight in prayer for me? Listen, tonight I want to walk you through our responsibilities as God's people when it comes to praying for your leaders, for ministries, and for people. The first thing you want to take note of if you're writing notes down is we got to be able to hear the appeal. Are you willing to hear the appeal? Some may wonder, why would such an anointed, powerful man of God beg for prayer from people in churches that he's raised up or even in this case never met but what if the very person that Paul or what if the very reason why Paul was so anointed was because he was humble enough to understand the need for prayer from God's people I think one of the hardest things we have sometimes is the ability to humble ourselves enough to even ask for prayer to say I'm not doing okay Situations are not well in my household. There is this thing going on. My marriage is not doing as 
well as it could. Are you all close to divorce? No, we're not. We're nowhere near that by the grace of God. But it's not as good as it should be. And I don't want to wait till we're on the close to divorce for me to ask you to pray for it. So there's a humility that comes from that. And again, I, I get it because there's almost a humiliation that we feel in asking for prayer. But the reality is the need is still the need. And so the difference between humbling yourself and asking for prayer and not is that the need is not going to get met because you're not willing to be humble enough to tell people you have a need. Listen, we have the Holy Spirit, but we're not mind readers. And so it, it helps us, it behooves us for you to simply say, pastor, friend, neighbor, I have a need. Would you pray for me? That his strength would come from the Lord, but uh, the church would constantly pray for that strength to be delivered. See, Paul understood my strength comes from God, but I still need God's people to help me pray for that strength. Listen, he asked the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brethren, pray for us. More specifically, he asked them to pray that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be glorified and that he would be rescued from evil men. He asked the church in Philippians to pray that he would be delivered from prison, but that whatever the outcome, Christ would be exalted through him. He asked the church in Ephesus to pray in Ephesus 6, 19 and 20. He asked the church in Colossians to pray in Colossians 4, 3 through 4, to pray that he would have opportunities to preach the gospel and that he would do so with boldness and clarity. He asked the Corinthians to pray in 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 11, that God would deliver him from the peril of death. And almost all of his letters to all the various churches, Paul always asked for prayer. Paul gave instructions. Paul gave rebukes. Paul talked all types of things. But Paul never neglected to humble himself and say, pray for this need. And he didn't do what a lot of us do. Um, you know, brother, just, just pray for me. All cool. What do you want me to pray for? And it's just, just a lot. Okay. I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. You know, just my life. Are you really leaning on that Holy Spirit speaking to me? Thinking like, I believe he does, but what is it? It's embarrassing. That's fine. Who cares? I, I got constipation. Well, let's pray that God will loose. Like, I, mean, I don't want to be there when it happens, but I'll pray for you. Like, we got to get over the embarrassment and the, the shame and the guilt. What shame and guilt is there in humbling yourself and saying, I need prayer? I have an addiction. I'm struggling in this area. I need prayer. There's times where we, where we got to really work at it. And listen, there's some of you, you don't even know what you need prayer for because you don't bother to take the time to even think about that. Wow. So there's all these needs floating around and you, you just ignore it as if it's not happening. Yeah. You're like those people who coughing up a storm and you're like, man, you're sick. In Jesus' name, I'm not sick. You are, and absolutely in his name you are sick. <laughs> I don't know where you think just saying you're not makes you not. You are 100%, yeah. But we could pray to that Jesus name and ask him to heal you. Acknowledging that you're in need is not weakness. Failing to do so is. And so be willing to admit it. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's go through that, verse 9 through 11. It says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So listen, Paul acknowledges, listen, it was God who delivered us, and it is God who will deliver us again. But you have a role too. 
to hear my appeal and to pray on our behalf, to give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of what? Of many. Listen, it's okay to ask a number of people to pray for you. Which, by the way, this is a whole other side thing. It's okay to ask many people to pray for you if the prayer is genuine. What's not okay is to ask many people to pray for you as a way of gossiping. Because <laughs> that happens too. If it's praying for you, it's one thing. If it's, hey, you know, just pray for my husband. He's lazy and doesn't listen and he's got issues. And I'm, I'm sure if we asked your husband what to pray for, he'd give us a list of things too. <laughs> uh, so understand the differentiation. But to, to say, hey, listen, I need you to pray, especially if it's your thing. Now, I'm not saying you got to announce to the world if you don't feel like that. But to go around a number of people and to say, hey, brother, say, get a little text chain going. I got this need going on. Because here's the thing. When many are involved in the prayer, many get to be involved in the rejoicing when the prayer is answered. You understand that? And that's sometimes what we rob people from. When many get involved in the prayer, many can be involved in the rejoicing when the prayer is answered. Because they prayed with you. Where's Bobby? Bobby here? I thought I saw him earlier. Bobby and Amy. I don't know if you guys know this. They've announced it online, so it's not a big secret. But they are expecting their first child. Right? (laughs) Praise God. Now, when I found out, I cried. When when they did their announcement, even though I already knew and I hugged Bobby, I cried with Bobby. (laughs) Now, why did I cry? It wasn't because we found out they were pregnant. It's because of all the times we spent at this altar praying for God to give them what they had hoped for. And so all the times of prayer, man, I had a great time of rejoicing. And I am so thrilled for my friends, especially because their babies come in right on the back heels of my baby. So they got little homies and they get to be friends and they're my friends. And so this thing kind of comes together. But I can't be a part of the rejoicing if I'm not part of the suffering. And so sometimes you got to let people into the prayer need so they can be let into the testimony party afterward. Because then it means so much more because I labored in it with you in prayer. Even though it wasn't my situation, it felt as though it was my situation. And so now that they're pregnant, it feels like I'm pregnant all over again. Although I don't have to deal with this baby, so praise God, it's just your thing now. You will learn our pain and our joy and our joy. <coughs> Second thing we got to be doing, and it kind of goes with what I'm just talking about. You got to be able to hear the appeal. But we got to get to the point where we're moved to action by the love of the Spirit, right? He says, I appeal to you, and then he goes on to say, by the love of the Spirit. That's what moves us to action. If you love people, you'll pray for them. You pray for your children because you love them. You pray for your family because you love them. If you care about someone's need, you'll pray for them. If you care about someone's marriage, you'll pray for its restoration. If you care about someone's salvation, you'll pray for that. Are you moved to prayer because of the need and the situation? But here's the thing. Paul doesn't know all the people in the Roman church, but he's making a love appeal. On behalf of the love of the Spirit, would you pray for me? Not solely based on his relationship to them, but on their mutual relationship to the Holy Spirit. This is where the beauty of the church comes in. And, and I'm so grateful for everything that happened on Monday. And, and we'll get into celebrating that. And I'll talk about it a little bit more on Sunday. But even if I don't know you, what we have in common in our shared relationship with Christ makes it easy for me to connect with you in prayer. Makes it easy for me to, to, to pray on your behalf and to intercede for you and to battle with you. There's a number of times where I've been at a conference or at a camp or at an event or whatever and I prayed with deep yearning and tears and just 
great intercession for someone I've never met up until the point of prayer. But what? We're brothers and sisters in Christ by the shared love of the Holy Spirit and the binding that comes with that unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why when Paul wrote to the church in Romans, he appeals to them, brothers by the love of the Spirit. Say, hey, we are family and we love the same Holy Spirit. It's not solely based on relationship with each other, but it's based on the relationship we have with God. Listen, Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. What are we saying? Essentially what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit has produced the fruit of love in you. Show that love by striving with me in prayer. Hey, if you love God, then love me enough to pray for me. If you say you love the Spirit, if the Spirit of God is in you and moving through you, if that is coursing through you, then you should love me enough to care about my need right now and to pray for me. I try as much as I can when I pray for somebody to be sympathetic to their situation. I may not have any idea what it's like to be in that situation. You know, my wife has endometriosis. I have no idea what that pain feels like on her body. But I don't need to know that. I love her and I love the spirit that she loves. And so I can pray for her with the same earnestness even though I don't have the same experience. Watchman Nee once said it like this. Let us recognize this one thing. Burden is the secret of prayer. If a person does not feel within him burden to pray for a particular matter, he can hardly succeed in prayer. In a prayer meeting, some brothers and sisters may mention a great many subjects for prayer. But if you are not touched inwardly, you cannot pray. Some of us need to learn to soften our hearts to the prayer needs that are being brought before. When someone gives you a prayer need, is your heart softened to what they're asking for? Even if you've never been in that situation, are you able to sympathize with a brother or sister who is hurting, who is in need, who is scared, who is struggling? Can you do that? And if you can't, I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to strive for that, to get on that level. And that's the thing about empathy, really. It's being able to sit with that person in their situation, even though you're not in it yourself. When we can empathize with one another in prayer is when prayer is really moved. Otherwise, it's like, oh, God, you know, help my brother and, you know, whatever you know, it's going through. And, um, yeah, you know, Jesus' name. And I'm sitting there like, wow, what a powerful prayer. <laughs> Really, you really cared about me. <laughs> no, but when you, and I'm not saying volume is the indicator, but you can sense when someone is in it with you, when someone is feeling it with you. And sometimes, you know, the prayer is obviously what's going to end the situation, but the comfort we receive in prayer is just knowing that somebody is sitting in it with us. And even if it's a stranger, you ever had a perfect stranger pray perfectly for you? And you're just like, I don't even know this person. And they are nailing it. <laughs> and I am just so touched by this individual's prayer that it means the world to me. And that's why you see it. You see it all the time. After that prayer, what happens? People say amen. And then they turn around and they just embrace and cry and hug. And you don't even know that person. But you know the same spirit. And there is something inward that says, no, 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 I am moved by your situation so much so that it moves me to prayer. And then the last thing is this. 
make every effort to strive together. The ancient Greek word translated strive together is sunagonzonamai. Uh, literally means agonize together. To emphasize the importance of intensity, Paul repeats the word twice. Agonize together. Agonize together. It's such a crazy phrase to bring up, but it goes back to what we've been talking about. Agonize together. Get in this pit with me. Feel this with me just for the moment. Be in it with me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 37 through 40. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? What's Jesus' disappointment? That they weren't willing to sit in it with him. He's saying, listen, this is the moment before his capture, his beating, his crucifixion before the greatest agony that he's ever going to experience. And what does he want? He wants his closest friends to sit with him for a little bit. He understands, listen, this prayer I got to make by myself, but would you just sit here on the outskirts and intercede on my behalf? Would you just agonize with me while I agonize in the garden? And you almost sense a disappointment where he's like, Peter, I didn't ask you to agonize for the last 33 years. I asked you to do it for an hour. You couldn't even do it for an hour? Listen, there are many people in our church. We had over 500-some people come to the picnic. And I'm not saying I expect all 500-something to come to the prayer meeting. But there's one thing about having joy together. There's something else about agonizing together. And I think we're bound closer in our agony than we even are in our rejoicing. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm not wishing agony on us. But there's something powerful when a person sits with you, even if it's just for an hour, to agonize with you. You may not understand the agony of a single parent, but you can agonize in prayer on their behalf. You may not understand the agony of what it's like to be a teenager today, but you can agonize in prayer for the battle of their spirit and mind that they're going through in today's age. You may not be able to agonize with what it's like to be homeless or a migrant trying to get from where they are to where they're going but you can agonize for them in prayer. Agonize doesn't mean being in the same situation. It means allowing your heart to go into the same situation. And in that case, we can pray for anybody, regardless of where they're at, regardless of age. That means an older person can pray for a younger person. A younger person can pray for an older person because it doesn't matter about experience. It matters about the moment. What are you going through and what can I pray for? Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, once said this. Shall I give you yet another reason why you should pray? I have preached my very heart out. I could not say any more than I have said. Will not your prayers accomplish what my preaching fails to do? It is not likely that the church has been putting forth its preaching hand, but not its praying hand. Oh, dear friends, let us agonize in prayer. Can I tell you something, a little secret here? This church will not grow to where God wants it to grow because the preaching is good. 
Because the worship is good. Because the picnic went off great. Wednesday nights, Tuesday nights, we are battling in agony for the growth and the security of the church. This is where it'll grow. And it's not because of us. Obviously, it's because of God. But it is through our prayers. And that's why we keep asking and desiring for this prayer meeting to grow. Because the more that agonize with us, the more that celebrate with us. So when the church has moments like, I mean, I was in such deep joy on Monday, even though I was tired and running around, to see what we prayed for last Wednesday happening in real life, it made my heart sing. Like, yeah, this is what it's about. This is what we strive for. And it's like we said earlier, guys, when, when we see the church flourish to the point where we got to add another service and then we got to figure out a parking situation, like I want you to create really bad problems for us <laughs> to have to navigate and figure out. And again, hear my heart. It's not because, oh, well, you know, you can measure the greatness of a church by the size of church. There's a lot of really big dead churches. Yeah. So I'm not saying that. But every person in this room represents someone who needs to get to heaven. Yeah. And so we fill heaven when we fill the room. And so we want to strive to grow, not just numerically, but in depth spiritually. That only ever happens in prayer. That's why God called this house a house of prayer. And so I want to commend you and thank you for the dedication you make every Wednesday night. Because I know those of you that are in the room right now, it's not just to your benefit and to your blessing, although I hope you feel that way as well. But you understand more than anybody else in our church that this is about something greater than yourself. That prayer is about standing in the gap for everyone else. Here we pray for that family that's going to get saved three months from now and come to this church. Here we pray for that wayward child that on our Christmas program is going to come back to Jesus. Here we pray for those people that are going to receive those food handouts that we're going to give out in November. Here, we secure the blessing for the many. That's why I love the prayer meeting. That's why I'm grateful for all of you. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. Tonight, I have one specific prayer need that I want us as a church to pray for. Many of you came early today uh, because we had our kickoff for Awana. And I love Awana. I'm very grateful for Pastor Evelyn and our children's ministry and the program that they're going through. And tonight I want us to take some time to pray for those leaders and those kids. Awana, if you're not aware, is essentially our discipleship program that we run for our children uh, from the beginning of the school semester through the end of it, right before the summer. And there's a lot of really cool things involved with it. They have their little vests and their little patches for all reaching all their various achievements. But at the core of it, it's ensuring that the youngest of us have those basic elements necessary to grow and deepen the relationship with God. And you know, as a byproduct, one of my favorite things about Awana is it's so hands-on with the parents that there are parents who are learning things for the first time as they're teaching their kid. And it amazes me. Like, again, I can only brag on my kids because they're my kids. But the other day, my daughter was walking me through the genealogy of Noah. And she's spitting names. And I'm like, what was his son's name? (laughs) And she's like, it's this guy and this guy and this guy. And I mean, she's speaking almost good Hebrew. And she just memorized them. And she's reading her little storybooks and, and pointing out. And then they died in the flood because they didn't believe Noah. And they didn't trust God. And I'm like, 
What, what, what else happened as I'm taking notes for my next sermon? Here's what I know. You win a child, you can win a household. Some people will only come back to church because of their children. Some people only stay in church because of their children. Some people really deepen their faith in God because of their children. So I want to pray that Awana would not just be a program. Although there is a cost to Awana, and I've made it clear to Pastor Evelyn, we will never say no to a child because of financial issues. So we cover costs if costs need to be covered. That'll never be a situation for us as far as I'm the pastor. We're going to make sure that every child has an opportunity to be a part of it. But I want to pray for those students to really be filled with the Spirit as they're going through that program. I want to pray for parents to be committed to bringing their kid every Wednesday night. Listen, if you can commit to taking them to T-ball, if you can commit to taking them to cheerleading, you can commit to bringing them to Awana. Okay? Because I don't know if they'll be a cheerleader in heaven, but I know they could be a worshiper. <laughs> I don't know if they'll be playing T-ball in heaven, but I know they'll stand before God one day. So I want to ensure that my child's spiritual walk is stronger than everything else is. And should the Lord create some other path for them to do other great things, praise God. But I want to pray that our parents would not have excuses. Well, I'm tired, or I got to do this, or I got to do that. Listen, when your kid walks away from the Lord at 17, I don't want you looking back saying, I wish I would have tried harder when they were seven. We raise up strong children so we don't have to fix broken men. So I want to pray that God would help us, motivate us, encourage us, maybe even help each other out, carpool situation or whatever we decide to do amongst each other. That the Spirit of God would move through our Rwanda program and through Pastor Evelyn. So would you just right where you're at, would you just begin to lift up your voice and begin to pray for Rwanda? I remember, pray for the children, pray for the parents, pray for the teachers, pray for Pastor Evelyn. Come on, begin to lift up your voice and call on the name of the Lord. Intercede on their behalf.